This is the podcast for Indelible, a documentary in progress for the week of April 21st, 2019. A few months ago, I was hammering down a few facts about the history of Carl Harp. I wanted to confirm the dates of his time in and out of prison before he got set up to be the scapegoat for the sniper crime. I did a couple follow-up interviews, one with a man named John Liebert, the criminal psychiatrist who interviewed him in Snohomish County Jail at 2 a.m., and that was in the second week of August 1973. It was an interview that was intended to be used in order to charge Harp with the sniper crime. I had spoken to him once before in 2015. He still practices, and he had a strong interest in Harp. He still seems to have a strong interest in Harp. And I learned he spoke about him in the press and on a recent radio show in what seemed to be exaggerated terms. And I'm going to include here a short clip from his statements on the radio show. Uh, Now, Carl Harp um, was killed in prison um, eventually. and uh, I don't know whatever happened to his uh, uh, his uh, accomplice who who escaped with him. But uh, when they were on the loose, um, they were they did a lot of damage, and uh, and then they they split. And Carl Harp, his final act was to just you know fire some shots at at random drivers on the freeway in Bellevue. And, um, knowing that that was pretty much it, right? That, that, uh, no. Oh, really? No, he, he, it was pure, pure, purely serendipitous that he got caught. Um, hmm. and, uh, he, he, he was very, very lucky that he caught, he shouldn't have been caught for that under, I mean, the odds against his, being caught for the Bellevue sniping cases, you know, like a roll of the dice, you know. That's about all they knew that when I saw him. And I went up and interviewed him in jail, and then I went, and then when he was convicted of, of the sniping case, he was, he was uh, sentenced to, <clears throat> he was returned to Walla Walla, of course, and, uh, and I, I went there and I interviewed him a couple times, and I kind of stayed in touch with him. I, and I communicated with him uh, until he got killed there. Um, well, allegedly committed suicide. I don't. I think he killed. I think he got killed myself. But uh... he is also the person who told me in 2015 that Harp was murdered by a rape with a metal pipe. He said it in, again, really visceral terms, um, describing that his intestines were shredded and that's how he died. It seems clear that Harp was murdered rather than suicided. But was this truly the method or an exaggeration told for effect? There is evidence of blood from that area of his body from the coroner's photos of Harp's cell after his death. Just before I spoke to Liebert last fall in 2018, I received new information from Folsom Prison on Harp. And I'll go into this in 
detail a little later in the podcast. I left out the parts of Liebert's statements on the radio show about Harp's earlier crimes prior to his arrest in June 1973 by an off-duty officer named Mark Eriks. After listening to them tonight, they were full of errors at the expense of mischaracterizing Harp's history and character. That is something that occurs often these days. Spin or wishful thinking. It doesn't seem fair or right to include it here because I don't know what kind of pressure Mr. Liebert was under when he was doing that radio show and um, and how maybe he wasn't fully prepared when he was talking, and that happens to all of us, so I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt regarding some of those statements. But I thought the other ones were, were interesting and um, deserve to be included. And I did find some court documents that described um, the charges of Harp prior to the sniper charges and two weeks after he moved to Seattle the first time. So when he went from California to Seattle in 1969. Harp was sent to Monroe Penitentiary for a crime at Tony's Market in South Seattle for a $67 robbery. This was not long after he completed his off-the-books military work. He was given an oddly long sentence for that robbery, but he only served three and was next found in Virginia. Liebert has a long history of helping police create the public character of Harp. According to Liebert, it began when he found himself in need of clients as a young psychiatrist in Bellevue, Washington, in the late 1960s and early 70s. Initially, he had made his income from employees at Boeing as their insurance covered their visits. But at some point, their insurance coverage changed, and so he had fewer clients. He said a friend from the police suggested he worked for them as they had just gotten a grant to cover the services of a psychiatrist. Apparently, the grant was based on new policies put in place by Nixon and his effort to be, quote-unquote, tough on crime. He said this is how he ended up working with Lieutenant Blaircom of the Bellevue Police in August 1973, where they interviewed Harp at 2 a.m. in Snohomish Jail with an eye on naming him for the sniper crime. What is interesting about this is Liebert was a psychiatrist in Bellevue, Washington. At that time, there was a psychiatric hospital in Bellevue named Fairfax. It would be very likely Liebert had privileges or was associated with Fairfax during that time. Why is this interesting? Well, as I mentioned, it was the testimony of Harp's second wife, Jamie, that resulted in his conviction for the sniper crime. Jamie had known Harp for less than a year and had met him in Virginia, where it seems they both had completed some kind of training. This was after his unofficial military work. 
and Jamie had been married previously to an intelligence officer named Richard Harloff in California prior to meeting Harp. As soon as they married in February 1973, and I have their marriage certificate, and I say this because um, Lieutenant Blaircom and, and Mr. Liebert, or Dr. Liebert, both tried to say that he wasn't married, and I told them that I have his marriage certificate, and I do. You can Anyone can find it. Um, anyway, um, so as soon as they were married in February 1973, they came to Seattle, and that was March 1973. And again, the sniper crime occurred in May 1973, the second week in May 1973. In the months prior to the crime, Jamie was allegedly seeing a psychiatrist in Bellevue at Fairfax, and that's how it was spun for the media and jurors. Jamie and Carl lived on Lower Queen Anne. Jamie worked at the Central Tavern in Pioneer Square. Carl worked at the Bon Marche. To travel to Bellevue is over an hour away by bus, and Jamie had no car. There were many other psychiatric hospitals in Seattle or places to get therapy within a 5 to 15 minute bus ride. But instead, she went to Fairfax in Bellevue. Fairfax, where Mr. Liebert was likely working. The case documents for Harp's arrest state it was during a session with Jamie that she stated Harp was the shooter for the sniper crime. It is very likely this information then traveled from Liebert to the police in Bellevue, or if it was more complicated as it seems, it could have been a federal collaboration between Jamie, Liebert, and the Bellevue police to create such a story to be used to frame Harp for the sniper crime. After all, they all had relationships with federal law enforcement. Later during Carl's trial, the police helped Jamie flee the state. Carl's attorney could not question her. And who did she flee with? Again, the man Liebert characterized as Harp's accomplice during the escape from Monroe prior to the sniper crime. It was an escape, again, from Monroe Reformatory. And this man later worked at Lockheed Martin. During that escape, Carl walked by himself to Canada and married his first wife, Sherry. He then had second thoughts and called his counselor, asking if he could return and complete his sentence. This was allowed, and Harp served another year or so before going to Virginia, where he met Jamie, his second wife. Lockheed Martin has ties to federal law enforcement, intelligence, and the military. As an aside, the Las Vegas sniper, in the recent Las Vegas sniper shooting, worked at Lockheed Martin. He was also near the same age as Harp and was in California as a teen around the same time and area as the kids in the indelible story.
and note that we can't ask that man any questions about his history. He's no longer around to be able to ask him any questions about his history. As mentioned, I had received records from California archives on Harp's movement history in and out of youth authority facilities during his time in Vietnam and Guatemala. I created a spreadsheet based on this information. And through this, I was able to pinpoint periods of time when he was likely abroad. They coincided with the times he described. During this process, I also worked to confirm his movement history after his incarceration for the sniper crime. This is where things got strange. I have held this information very close because I was not sure how valid it was. It came with an official source. It came from an official source. If it was valid, it meant the two employees and the government database they read from were providing false information. If it was true, it meant Harp did not die in 1981 and that authorities knew it. I learned from the DOC that, yes, Harp had been transferred from Walla Walla to San Quentin, but I already knew this. It occurred after his earlier rape in prison by a guard. He didn't feel safe any longer at Walla Walla, so he was transferred to San Quentin. But I now had the state's confirmation of this fact. Then I learned he left San Quentin and was transferred to Folsom Prison. The Folsom records show that Harp was released as a free man in 1981, that he was released from his sentence, not just released from their custody. I had to ask them multiple times to confirm that this is what they meant, and they did confirm it. And again, it was confirmed by two staff at Folsom who merely read from the database. Neither knew the other had also looked, so it involved two separate instances of checking the facts by two separate employees. I have thought carefully about being told this and if it should be shared, but I think it clarifies some of the other odd behavior related to Harp's death such as the falsified death certificates in Washington State going to great efforts to hide the name of the person who signed for these changes, which is public information. And they did this 40 years after his death. It also makes sense in terms of the way certain people respond regarding Harp. And again, 40 years later. And that's all I have for tonight. Take care.